Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a glass of sangria. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a wine cooler, and on today's episode, we will be looking into the case of Conrad Roy and Michelle Carter. This case stirred up questions about where responsibility lies if you encourage or assist someone with committing suicide. Before we discuss the events surrounding Conrad's death by suicide, we're going to go into their backgrounds and their relationship. Roy was born in 1995 in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts. In June 2014, he graduated on the honor roll from Old Rochester Regional High School. Carter was born on August 11th, 1996 in Massachusetts to Gail and David Carter. She went to King Philip Regional High School. She had developed an eating disorder from around the age of eight or nine, and she may have injured herself by cutting. She was on prescription psychiatric medication from the age of 14 and attended counseling at McLean Hospital in Belmont. Carter and Roy met in 2012 while each had been visiting relatives in Florida. After this initial encounter, they saw each other in person again only a handful of times over the course of two years despite having lived only about one hour from each other. They mostly exchanged text messages and emails. While much of the media routinely referred to Carter as Roy's girlfriend, as this was the description used by Carter, this was not used by Roy. He considered her a friend. Whether or not Conrad considered Michelle his girlfriend, he trusted her. Roy struggled with social anxiety and depression for which he had seen several therapists and counselors. According to court documents, Roy had allegedly been physically hit by his father and verbally abused by his grandfather and tried to kill himself in October 2012 after his parents had divorced. After learning that he was planning to kill himself, Carter repeatedly discouraged him from attempting suicide in 2012 and 2014 and encouraged him to get professional help. However, her attitude changed in July of 2014 when she started thinking that it would be a quote good thing to help him die end quote. In June Roy had texted Carter suggesting they act like Romeo and Juliet checking that she understood they each had to kill themselves. On July 13th 2014 following digital exchanges with Carter while interacting with his family Roy died by suicide by poisoning himself with carbon monoxide fumes in his truck in a Kmart parking lot in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Roy's funeral was held on Saturday, July 19th, 2014 at St. Anthony's Church in Metapoisett. Michelle Carter was indicted on February 4th, 2015 and arraigned the following day in New Bedford Juvenile Court in Taunton, Massachusetts on charges of involuntary manslaughter. The grand jury found enough to charge her with quote-unquote wantonly and recklessly assisting the suicide. She was 17 at the time and the court indicted her as a youthful offender rather than a juvenile, meaning she could be sentenced as an adult. On Monday, June 5th, 2017, the day before the trial was scheduled to begin, 
Carter waived her right to jury trial. Therefore, the case was heard by Judge Lawrence Monins. Carter was represented by Joseph P. Cataldo and Corey Madeira. On June 16, 2017, Judge Monins found Carter guilty of involuntary manslaughter. He stated prior to his ruling that it was Carter's phone calls with Roy when he was in his truck gassing himself, as described by Carter's text to friends, rather than the preceding text messages that caused him to go through with killing himself. Judge Moniz found that Roy had broken, quote, the chain of self-causation, end quote, towards his suicide when he exited the truck and that it was Carter's wanton and reckless encouragement to then return to the truck that caused his death. The judge had noted that Carter willed Roy's death, that she did not order him out of the truck, and that her actions, quote, put him in that toxic environment, end quote, which, quote unquote, constituted reckless conduct, and, quote unquote, that the conduct caused the death of Mr. Roy. After the guilty verdict, Roy's father publicly stated that the family were pleased with the verdict, but that they wanted privacy and time to process the events they experienced. His mother, Lynn Roy, appeared on the CBS 48 Hour show saying she didn't believe Carter had a conscience and that she knew exactly what she was doing. Carter remained free on bail pending her sentencing. On August 3rd, 2017, Judge Lawrence Moniz sentenced Carter to serve a two and a half year term with 15 months to be served in the Bristol County House of Corrections. The rest of the balance suspended and five years of probation to be served. Soon after the sentencing was handed down, Carter's lawyer asked Judge Moniz to issue a stay of the sentence until all of Carter's Massachusetts court appeals options are exhausted. Judge Moniz granted the stay with conditions that Carter stay away from the Roy family. On February 6, 2019, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that Carter acted with criminal intent when she encouraged Roy into suicide. So her involuntary manslaughter conviction was ordered to stand and that Carter's 15-month prison sentence would be enforced in the near future. Under order from a Massachusetts judge, Carter began serving her 15-month sentence on February 11, 2019. Carter had requested a parole hearing for early release, but the parole board denied the request on September 20, 2019. Meanwhile, Carter's lawyers petitioned the case to the Supreme Court of the United States in July 2019 based upon First Amendment and Fifth Amendment grounds. Carter's defense lawyers argued that Roy had a history of suicide attempts and that the decision to end his life was his own, that Carter was bewildered over the case against her, and that, quote, taking all of the text in context, she tried to talk him out of it, end quote. They argued in initial hearings that the defendant had broken no law and had a First Amendment right to freedom of speech, and that at the time she was a juvenile. The Supreme Court declined to hear the case in January 2020, leaving in place the Massachusetts Supreme Court conviction. On July 23, 2020, Carter was released early from prison more than three months before her sentence ended due to good conduct. Jenny, what are your thoughts on this case? I remember when all of this was going on and how shocking it was and how shocking it still is. I hadn't heard of anything like this before and I think it was really the first time the justice system saw this too. It's just so heartbreaking. What Michelle did was wrong and I do think her sentence was deserved because if you read the text, Conrad gets out of the car and then she says like, no, go back in. You got to like follow through with what you were doing. And that is, I think, a huge part of 
why he is no longer with us. Obviously, he had mental health issues, and she did too. And I think that does need to be taken into consideration. And I really do hope uh, she's getting the help that she needs. I don't think this is going to be the last time we see something like this. And I can't think of any specific cases, but I'm sure that there are people who are in abusive relationships constantly being gaslit and told to kill themselves and then they do. Like I said, I don't know of any specific cases, but I would like to see, you know, what the outcomes of those were. Obviously, like the texting aspect, that's such a a modern piece of crime. And, uh, you know, a lot of people's messages really show a whole story that I don't even think their families knew, you know, what was going on with them in their minds and their personal lives and whatever type of relationship they had. I hope nothing like this happens again, but I don't know if I can confidently say that I don't think it will ever happen again. What about you? So I think this case is a tragic case of putting your trust in the wrong person. I think that Conrad had a lot of mental health issues and he really needed someone that he could trust. And he definitely needed someone who was going to be by his side as he got professional help. And unfortunately for him, Michelle was not that person. And I think that while Michelle had a lot of issues on her own, she should have definitely took that into account before she entered this type of friendship relationship with Conrad. You have to make sure that your own mental health is good before you enter into what most likely will be a very tense, mentally exhausting relationship. And I don't think that they did that. So they were very toxic to each other. This case sparked many discussions. And one in particular was what role can someone play in ending the life of another? The central question becomes, where is the line between assisted suicide and murder? Euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide refer to deliberate action taken with the intention of ending a life in order to relieve persistent suffering. In most countries, euthanasia is against the law and it may carry a jail sentence. In the United States, the law varies between states. Euthanasia can also be classed as voluntary or involuntary. Voluntary euthanasia is when euthanasia is conducted with consent. Voluntary euthanasia is currently legal in Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and the states of Oregon and Washington in the U.S. Non-voluntary is when euthanasia is conducted on a person who is unable to consent due to their health condition. In this scenario, the decision is made by another appropriate person on behalf of the patient based on their quality of life and suffering. Jenny, what is your stance on euthanasia? I will say I don't really have an issue with it, especially if it's voluntary or if it is non-voluntary and there is someone that I guess is like able to consent on that person's behalf. Of course, this reminds me of Dr. Kevorkian, who I'm not sure how popular he is or how well known he is outside of the United States. He was a doctor who was a proponent of euthanasia and he championed a patient's right to die by physician assisted suicide. And he provided physicians assisted suicide to people, uh, many people who were terminally ill who did consent in the 90s. And he actually was charged with murder. He was convicted of murdering his patients. I honestly don't really think he was doing anything wrong. I mean, I guess by law, he was doing something wrong, but he really seemed like he was supporting his patients. And I think it's very easy for us to think like, well, I would never want to do that. But if you're really suffering and the last few years of your life, you're bedridden and sick 
and you have to see your loved ones, you know, suffering, taking care of you and watching you die. I don't know how I would feel in that situation, but I guess you could argue that these people maybe aren't in a right state of mind. I don't really think there's anything wrong with it. Although I will say, I think that there probably is a big gray area into, oh, did this person consent? Did this person not consent? And I don't know too many cases of euthanasia, but I would be interested in learning more, actually. What about you? My opinion of euthanasia has definitely evolved over the last couple of years, and I come down on the side against it. While I know that the purpose of it is to alleviate suffering, I don't think that having a terminal illness is a reason to discard the sanctity of life. I think that you checking yourself out of life, irregardless of the reason, shouldn't be promoted and definitely shouldn't be legal. And I think that helping someone commit suicide, whether you are a physician or any other person should definitely remain illegal. Like you had mentioned, it just opens up a ethical concern. Michelle and Conrad's case also involved technology and what role technology plays in crime and how many modern criminals are using technology to select and harass their victims. Cyberbullying has been a really big problem and cyberbullying can be defined as bullying that takes place over digital devices like cell phones, computers, and tablets. Cyberbullying can occur through text messaging, through apps, and through social media forums, gaming, where people can view, participate, and share content. Cyberbullying also includes sending, posting, or sharing negative, harmful, false, or mean content about someone else. It can include sharing personal or private information about someone else causing embarrassment or humiliation. And some cyberbullying does cross the line into unlawful or criminal behavior. Unfortunately, cyberbullying has led to suicides, and we are going to discuss two of the numerous cases. The first is Megan Meyer. Soon after opening an account on MySpace, Meyer received a message supposedly from a 16-year-old boy named Josh Evans. Meyer and Josh became online friends but never met in person or spoke. Meyer thought Josh was attractive. As Meyer began to exchange messages with this person, her family said she seemed to have her quote-unquote spirits lifted. This person claimed to have moved to a nearby city and was homeschooled and did not yet have a phone number. So this character of Josh Evans was a account created to bully Meyer. And the person behind that was Lori Drew, who was the mother of Sarah Drew, who was a former friend of Meyer. At the time of Meyer's suicide, the Drew and Meyer families were neighbors living four doors apart. Lori Drew was aided by Sarah and by Ashley Grills, an 18-year-old employee of Lori. Lori and several others ran this hoax account and witnesses testified that the woman intended to use Meyer's messages sent to Josh to get information about her and later humiliate her in retribution for her allegedly spreading gossip about Drew's daughter. On October 16, 2006, the tone of the messages changed. After Megan got home from school, Tina Meyer signed onto MySpace for Megan. 
She was in a hurry because she had to take her younger daughter, Allison, to the orthodontics. Before she could get to the door, Megan was upset. Josh had sent troubling messages to Megan, including one that said, quote, I don't know if I want to be friends with you anymore because I've heard that you are not very nice to your friends, end quote. More messages of this type were sent. Some of Megan's messages were shared with others and bulletins were posted about her. Tina told her daughter to sign off and went to the doctor. She called her daughter to ask her if she had signed off and she hadn't. Megan was sobbing hysterically. When her mother got home, she was furious that she hadn't signed off. She was shocked at the vulgar language her daughter was firing back. Megan then told her mom, quote, you're supposed to be my mom. You're supposed to be on my side, end quote, and then left from the computer and went upstairs. According to her father, Ron Meyer, and a neighbor who had discussed the hoax with Drew, the last message sent by Josh read, quote, everybody in O'Fallon knows who you are. You are a bad person and everyone hates you. Have a shitty rest of your life. The world would be a better place without you, end quote. Megan responded saying, quote, you're the kind of boy a girl would kill herself over, end quote. The last few exchanges were made via AOL Instant Messenger instead of MySpace. When she ran upstairs, she ran into her father. She told him about the trouble and went to her room. Ron went downstairs to the kitchen where he and Tina talked about the cyberbullying and made dinner. 20 minutes later, Tina suddenly froze in mid-sentence and ran up to Megan's room. Megan Meyer had hung herself with the belt in the bedroom closet. Despite attempts to revive her, Megan was announced dead the next day on October 17th, three weeks before her 14th birthday. The second case is Phoebe Prince. Having recently moved to the U.S. from Ireland, Prince was taunted and bullied for several weeks by at least two groups of students at South Hadley High School, following disputes with two girls in late December 2009. Her aunt reportedly warned school officials in August 2009 prior to Prince's enrollment at the school to watch after Prince as she was quote-unquote susceptible to problems including peer pressure and bullying. Investigations later found that Prince was in fact one of the four girls bullying a student in Ireland in a dispute over a relationship with a boy. After the victim of that bullying was moved to another school by her parents, Prince wrote a letter of apology which was praised by the victim's mother who blamed the bullying on peer pressure and the lack of action by the school authorities. On January 14, 2010, three of the accused allegedly engaged in persistent taunting and harassment of Prince at school in the library and school auditorium. One of the accused allegedly followed Prince home from school in a friend's car, threw an empty can at her, and yelled an insult. It was after this final incident that Prince died by suicide by hanging herself in the stairwell leading to the second floor of her family apartment. Her body was discovered by her 12-year-old sister. After her death, many crude comments about her were posted on her Facebook memorial page, most of which were removed. Two really tragic cases. Jenny, what are your thoughts on these cases of someone's words and actions leading to another person's life-ending decision? It's so sad and upsetting, but I don't know. Right now, just after reading this stuff, it makes me so angry. Especially the first one because an adult was involved. Like, I understand you want to protect your kids, and I'm sure she would be mad 
at her daughter's friend for like ending a friendship, whatever happened with them. But you don't need to go out of your way to bully a child. Like you're pathetic if you do that. And I think anyone that's a bully is pathetic and it's really sad. I don't think schools take this seriously enough and they always want to say like no zero tolerance policy for bullying. But when I was in high school, I knew people that were regularly bullied and I knew teachers that wanted to seem like the cool kids and would kind of join in on stuff like that. And as an adult now, I wish I had like, you know, stood up for people more because it makes me so sad because that could be anyone. I really wasn't bullied in school, which I'm very grateful and lucky for, but I still had people say nasty things to me. And then, you know, sometimes you do try to stand up for yourself and then people still go after you. So how does it really end? It seems that no one is ever really held accountable until stuff like this happens and then it's way too late. Peer pressure is a really horrible thing and we all fall for it sometimes. We all are pressured to do things, but it's just so upsetting to see teenagers and children just be so cruel to one another for literally no reason just because someone is different that's usually what I think the reason is I guess there is some bad blood between people sometimes but kids I really don't think understand the power that they have to hurt someone whether it is with words or physical acts of violence there's a saying in America sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me and I think that's such bullshit because I know I can still remember all the mean things people said about me like you know at different points in my life and sad that I had to go through that and it makes me sad knowing that I'm not the only one that had to you know ever deal with stuff like that and I can't imagine you know what you do as a parent in that situation what are your thoughts yeah I definitely agree with you especially the bullshitness of the sticks and stones phrase if anything words hurt more because you know they always say you can heal from a broken leg but sometimes it's really hard to heal from the words that people have said to you I always challenge people who believe that you know words can't hurt think back to your teenage years think about how many times you physically hurt yourself and think about how many times you were mentally hurt I bet for most people they remember most of the times they were mentally hurt and barely any of the times that they were physically hurt. When people use words to hurt you, you start to internalize those things. You start to think, okay, is that person right? What is that person seeing that I'm not seeing that's leading them to that perspective of me? If you fall and you break your arm, you just thought, oh, I was clumsy. Shit. I'll try not to do that again. But you're not internalizing having a broken arm. You are internalizing any of the negative derogatory statements people are making about you. And for some people, unfortunately, they are not able to bear that weight of those derogatory comments. And they feel like they have no help. There's nothing that they can do. And the only thing that will solve the problem is for them to harm themselves. And that to me is one of the saddest facts of growing up in the United States, that there is no real action to change that. They have these BS campaigns. They, like you said, supposedly have zero tolerance policies, but you have people in schools that feel like they are exempt from rules. You have people that are the star athletes, the popular, their family has money, their family donates. They're the smart kid that people send off to the, the academic competitions. All those people are immune from the 
consequences of their behavior. And that builds up a school environment that not only tolerates bullying, but encourages it. It's made worse in small towns too, because so many people, their families know each other. They have history. A teacher at the your high school maybe went to high school with your dad. So there's history there. And it definitely makes things unfair. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about this case and how one person can have the ultimate control over someone's life. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode where we look into the case of the Somerton Man. As always, stay safe.